We just finished up Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. Um, I know my wife is glad to get out of that. She doesn't like hearing about all those who've been persecuted in the past and all of those fun things to talk about. So um, we're going to be moving on to chapter 12, running the race, and also just looking at God's chastisement and um, just really what happens when we don't live a life of obedience to Christ. Now again, I'm not saying any of us can obey fully. We can't. But uh, just like I was saying before, when we live as hypocrites, um, that there are consequences to living a life of hypocrisy when it comes to Christ. Uh, I've always said God expects the ungodly to live in ungodly ways. That's what he expects from them. But he expects something different from you. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. Um, so again, for those listening online, if you want to hear the rest of these or more, you can go to the patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. But Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like we just got done, keep in mind, we just finished Hebrews 11, talking about all this, these cloud of witnesses that are surrounding them, these people who have lived a life worthy of the calling, who have um, stood up for Christ, who have been persecuted, and many of them who gave their life for the, the truth. You know, we can talk about, well, they gave their life for Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means they wouldn't deny him, not just in professing, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but in how they lived their life. And so when we talk about professing Christ, I want you to understand, we're not just talking about people who say they're Christians. We're talking about people who live a life of Christianity. Because otherwise it's just words. You know, it's like James, who said that even the devil believes in God and shudders. The devil knows that Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. The difference is, is the devil has not made him his personal savior, and the devil does not live obediently, does he? He tries to get everybody to live disobediently. So obedience is extremely important. And when we don't live in obedience, repentance is key. So anyway, so that's what we're, we're coming off of, and he's saying remember these people who not only spoke Christ, but lived Christ, lived as they were supposed to live. So, big difference there. But it also means that it's possible to run the race. Today we hear so many people, the, the, the mantra of the church today is, oh, it's by grace you've been saved, it's by grace. So, just, you, you say you're a Christian, you go to church, great. Oh, you're saved because you go to church. That doesn't make you a Christian at all. And he's saying that there's a race that we run. Now, some of you nuts here are runners. I, I do not understand running. But I have to say that there's something that I admire about runners. That, that discipline, that self-discipline that they have. 
that willingness and ability to push their body through the worst pain that I can ever imagine. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, I almost would welcome you know persecution of Christianity more than running a marathon or, or just even the, the 5K with any of you guys. I just, I hate it that much. But I look at you and I think that's the kind of thing that we are supposed to do. We are supposed to endure. We're supposed to have this willingness to sacrifice and to put our body into submission. Most of us don't do that. We, we're hungry, give me something to eat, okay? This might have been by design that I put all the food here right next to me. Okay? If we're thirsty, we get something to drink. If we're tired, we lay down. If something hurts, we put a band-aid. We, we fix it all. We, we just don't want to be uncomfortable. And people who run races, people who do that, they are willing to be uncomfortable because they know that there's something comfortable or something that they enjoy. I still don't understand that. Something that they enjoy on the other side of it. And so... This is what's, what he's talking about here. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And he's not just talking about running the 5K. He's talking about the race of life. And that we are to expect trials and tribulations in this life. It isn't this false gospel that has been preached in church upon church upon church of, hey, come to Jesus, all your problems go away. Hey, why don't you come to my church? Everything is going to be hunky-dory. You're going to love our pastor. There's a great coffee bar. Uh, it, whatever the case might be. Everything that makes it comfortable. Now, again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a coffee bar in your church. What I'm saying is that's not the message of the gospel. So the Greek word here as well for witness, the cloud of witnesses, the very Greek word has to do with martyrdom even. And keep in mind, we just are coming off of chapter 11, talking about all those martyrs. And so that kind of shows you the cost of following Yeshua Jesus. That there is a tremendous cost that you may have to endure, just like we saw in chapter 11. But it's interesting to me that he's talking about this great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11, and then immediately he switches to the warning to put aside sin, to let us run this race of endurance, lay aside every weight and the sin which ensnares you. Don't lose that. He's talking about all this cloud of witnesses, and from there he ties this into it, that you need to set aside, put aside those sins in your life. Repentance. He's basically saying that look at those people who suffered, who lived their life out, who were a witness, an example to us. They're supposed to encourage you to live a life worthy, uh, to live a life not willfully sinning. Again, we all sin, myself included, everybody. We all screw up, we all... Like I said, I, I've told you I'm probably one of the most greedy, selfish, worthless people that you'll ever meet. But I hate that about me. Despise it. And I pray all the time that God will continue to make me somebody who's not that. Somebody who's better. I'm not going to live accepting that 
to be who I am. So even put yourself in the culture of these days running the race. Anybody in these days, what are they going to think of? Colosseums. They were around. They're going to think about those Colosseums. And Paul is going to elaborate on that a little bit in his epistle to the Corinthians when he says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So he's telling you to endure this race. Now we're seeing Paul talking here about this race. And he's saying we're supposed to run because only one person gets the prize. Now if you know, if I told you that there is a million dollars buried in the snow just across the road over here. But only the first person who gets it finds it. And you may go find it now. Go. You guys are going to be like, if you really believed that what I'm telling you is true, out the door, both doors, you're running. I, I mean, you're going to go because you know there's only one prize. And he's saying that's the kind of attitude you're supposed to have when we're running. There's something greater than a million dollars. You have eternal life. No tear, no sorrow, no trials, no tribulations, no curse of sin, no disease, no, uh, no more hatred. No more evil, no more corrupt governments. He says that's the prize. We, it's not just that. Even more, that's really not the prize. The real prize is you get to be with Jesus. I, you probably heard me talk about this before, and maybe we've even mentioned it in Bible study. I don't remember, but imagine if heaven was this dreary place. Okay, food was rationed, water was rationed. You had to work 12 hours a day, six days a week. But on the Sabbath day, you got to come and spend all day with Jesus. You got to come home on those other six days of the week after you worked 12 hours. You came home to an overcrowded apartment that you shared with eight other people. But one of the people that you got to share it with was Yeshua Jesus. And... On the flip side of this, hell was the best climate you could imagine. No bugs to bother you. It was the best food, buffet every day, all you wanted, the best drinks, the best entertainment. Whatever you love to do in this life, you got to do it. Where would you want to go when you died? Yeah, I, that's what I wanted to say. But when that question was posed to me by Bill Gillum, I, my answer, and I'm not kidding you, it was like, <laughs> I knew deep down I wanted to say heaven. But my, my answer was hell. I'd rather go to hell if that's what hell was in heaven. And it forced me to realize something about me that I didn't like. Another one of those many things, and that was this. I was more in love with the place and the person. And I began to pray, God, I just I want to fall in love with you. If all you do for me is die on that cross so that I have an eternity with you, but I have to go through hell on earth to be with you, 
Let that be enough. And it's been a number of years, and I have to say, God has continued throughout these years to answer that prayer in my life. That I'm falling more and more in love with Him. Now don't get me wrong, that's not what heaven is. Heaven is what I just described, hell. He heaven is amazing, but that is not what you're inheriting. There's an old Reader's Digest joke where this guy dies, he goes to heaven, he meets St. Peter at the gate, you know, and uh, but he's got a suitcase with him, the guy that dies. And St. Peter says, well, you can't bring that in. And he says, it's okay, God and I, we, we've got a deal. And so Peter goes and he checks with God. He comes back. He says, all right, God said it's okay, but he says, I'm supposed to look and see what's in your suitcase. So he throws it up on this table. He opens it up, and it's just gold bars, tons and tons of gold bars. And St. Peter looks at the guy, and he says, just real confused. He goes, pavement? Why would you bring pavement? What we consider so valuable and important to us here on this life, I'm telling you, it'll seem like nothing. Because, yes, you, you've got an amazing heaven to go to. But I'm telling you, the prize, the race that we're running is not to get to the gold streets. The race we're running is to be able to be with Jesus. That's the bottom line. And that's what I want to be in my heart. I'm not saying you can't desire those other things. You'd be nuts not to. But the real prize isn't the stuff, the, the location, the place. It's the person. That's the prize. And that's kind of what I was saying before, before we took communion, was you guys will never be able to live a life victoriously in Christ or to live a life worthy of the calling and to be obedient to Christ without having that personal relationship with Jesus because you are worthless. You're awful, just like I am. That's what Scripture says. By nature, there is, Romans says, there is no one good, no one who does good, no one righteous. All have fallen away. Together they have become worthless. That on our own, we have a sinful nature. Now, I, the world out there, Disney Channel, everybody else are going to say, oh, people are by nature good. Yeah, just, just open your eyes a little bit. You'll see by nature people are not good. By nature we are sinful. That fits what Genesis says all the way through Revelation. So it's, that, it's Jesus in us that empowers us, enables us, and gives us the desire to do good. Uh, Logan, you had uh, posted, uh, what's the guy's name, the rock skillet, or Cooper? John Cooper. What was it? Is it skillet? Okay, he's the lead singer of skillet. I'm Boy, I'll tell you, he had that message you posted was like a 15-minute message. It was great. And he talked about the law. Now, the church has thrown out the law, and it's all about grace, 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 grace. But he talked about how grace is what empowers you to even live out the law, to be obedient to Christ. And I mean, he just he did a really good job. I, I just think you runners, 
you know, you compete for a prize. What's your prize? I don't know. I mean, to say you did it most of the time. A t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> a bumper sticker. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I just. I feel like most Christians, we're running the race like we're competing for a Happy Meal. That is not what we're competing for. It is so much greater. And we have to have that prize in our minds. And we're going to get to a verse that's going to continue that here in Hebrews. But just, just remember that. That there is a great prize. Yeshua, Jesus, that's the prize. And it's beyond compare. You know, like the Logan's verse that he just shared there too. It's just incredible. And it goes on here. It says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. This word discipline here in the Greek is, it's almost like torture. We're not talking about just a, a mild inconvenience. We're talking about something very difficult. Again, that whole false gospel that is preached in so many churches today, I don't care what denomination it is, is that, hey, come to Jesus. Your life is going to be happy, happy, happy. You know, when I speak sometimes at other churches, I say, how many of you are Christians? You know, 99.9% .9 of the hands raise up. And then it's like, uh, how many of you don't have any problems? All the hands go down. Somehow we've gotten this idea that if we become Christians, that all of our problems go away. Is that the message that we're hearing here in Hebrews or in Corinthians? No, it's quite the opposite. Jesus even said that you would expect to be persecuted. We discipline our bodies. And... I don't know where, I think, Timothy, it says, anyone who lives a, li a godly life will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. So, we have to get it out of our minds that we are here to be comfortable. And the man with the most toys wins. That's not Christianity. We are to discipline the body fast. Put it into submission. Don't give it everything that it wants. Bring it into subjection. Why? Because otherwise, you might be disqualified for the prize. Now again, I'm not preaching a works righteous thing. I'm just telling you this. James, faith without works is dead. Okay, if you think you're a Christian and you live a life of ungodliness willfully, you're not a Christian. You can call yourself that all you want, but you're not a Christian. And I'm not talking about denominations here. I'm talking about the, hip the hypocrisy in every denomination today. So, you think about how fanatical sports fans get. And over what? 
a prize that is perishable and forgotten five years down the road or whatever. We should be fanatical for Christ. 2 Timothy 2.5 says also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That's another thing. You see, part of the competition is putting your body in subjection. The other part is this. You have to follow the rules. There's no difference in Christianity. Right, yeah. Yeah, those who, who play the sports, they get the award, but it's taken away because they've been juicing or whatever the case might be. Right? Not carrots. Anyway, um, so there are rules to Christianity. The entire New Testament is filled with them just like the Old Testament is. That if anyone, you know, call, if you love me, you will do what I say, Jesus says in John, right? So there are rules to Christianity. And we've kind of said, oh, no, there are no rules. You just have to believe in Jesus, and everything is hunky-dory. And like I said, even the devil believes in Jesus. Going back to Hebrews now, picking up there in verse 2, it says, uh, I'll just read verse the second part there in 1, keep the context. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In my memory, it says it's scorning. New King James here says despising. But bottom line is this is what I've been talking about. You run the race, how? Looking to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. He's the prize. When you run a race, your eye's on the prize. When we're running this life, Race, your eyes on the prize, Yeshua. This is one of my favorite verses. And it's that, let us fix our eyes on him. Why? How? Well, just as Jesus did. He fixed his eyes on the prize. What was that? The joy set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross? I'm looking at it. You. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I marvel at that. The prize set before him was you. And isn't that ironic? The prize set before you is him. Why me, Lord? Why me? That's just incredible to me that he loved us that much. He endured the cross. This is not some uncomfortable day. This is torture. And that's only in the physical he took the sins of the world upon himself. He knew every time that each of you would maybe have a peek at pornography. He knew every time you'd take his name in vain. He knew every time you'd tell a lie, you'd disobey your parents, you'd be selfish and greedy, you'd lie, you'd cheat. He knew every one of those. And yet, 
he says, ah, for you, I'll die. For the joy set before him, he endured all of that. Scorning, despising the shame of hanging on the cross, nude, naked. This kind of goes back to what you were saying before, uh, Deb, where I was bringing up the example of shooting a gun. I, I told you the story where my dad gave me this huge 300 Winchester Magnum gun to shoot deer with, with an old lever action thing, kicked like a mule. And I would always just, you know, I could, he wanted me to sight it in. I could never hit what he wanted me to hit because all I was thinking about is keep it tight on my shoulder. My focus was all here. And then we'd go hunting and it didn't matter. I mean, if it was moving, it was running across, I'm boom, boom, wouldn't feel a thing. I'd have a headache like crazy later, but I just never felt a thing. Why? Because my focus was out there. That's why I love this verse. Guys, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, he's the one that gives you the power to do what you need to do, then for the joy set before him, you will endure. And when people think you're an idiot because you're a Christian, because you come out here and you stand together and you sing some songs to this God that they can't see, they think you're foolish, they think you're nuts. Who cares? You're not going to care because your eyes aren't fixed on what the world thinks of you. Your eyes are fixed on what Jesus thinks of you. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's a little embarrassment that comes on because, oh, you know, you're, you're studying the Bible or whatever. Who cares? If your eyes are fixed on him, you're not going to care anymore. And so I won't go through all of that. We've talked about that before, but I, that's why I love this verse. Um. Like I said, we can't do this on our own. We, we need him. Uh, Psalm 45 is going to elaborate a little bit about hating our sins. I want you to understand that he despised the shame. We too should despise. It's not just the embarrassment, but despise the sin in our lives. Psalm 45 or 6 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You know, I've heard people say God doesn't hate anything. Oh, yes, he does. He hates sin, hates it, despises it. He says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Next time you're walking in some sort of sin, remember that. Fix your eyes on him, what he thinks of that. Maybe it'll help you stop. I think that's what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus is to Focus on Him. Focus on who He is. Hebrews 12.3, continuing on, it says, For consider Him 
Okay. Talk about how he suffered, how he suffered because of the joy set before him. Now it says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We are to fix our eyes on him, remember what he did, consider it, think about it, meditate upon what he did. Why? Well, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. I'll tell you what, I have to go to this verse many times because there's a lot of times that in this life I grow weary. I grow weary of trying to do what's right. I grow weary of the monotony of the day after day, the same old thing. Um, it's tough. And I have to remember, you know what, this is nothing. I'm supposed to consider what Jesus has done for me so that I can stop worrying about woe is me. Because, first of all, he suffered so much more. And second of all, what am I complaining about? He's conquered all for me. I've got a prize waiting for me. And we need to remember that. Verse 4 continues and it says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I guess here, again, that's my memory, NIV, but New King James, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. Striving against sin. I, I'm blown away at that verse. He's talking about all of these things and the great cloud of witnesses before it. He said, but you, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. Most of us can't even resist sin just because I like it. He says these people are resisting sin so much so that, like we talked about uh, the Maccabeans, who they were trying to get him to eat pork and would die for that. And it says, but you haven't even resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you're already growing weary and tired. Is it Psalms where it says, if you can't run with, you know, on men on foot, how are you going to run against horses and chariots? If you can't run in this easy, peasy walk that God has given us here in America right now, where we are so blessed, if you can't handle the trials of this now, how in the world are you going to do it when things actually get rough? You know, we're, we're talking here, some of these things that, the stupidity of the world right now, and mandates that we have, and sometimes, you know, many of us here are not going. We're not going along with the mainstream things that are going on. And we were talking about, that's probably good practice to feel a little uncomfortable or a little embarrassed, to have a little bit of confrontation. Because if we can't stand up and feel a little uncomfortable because somebody is telling me that I'm supposed to be wearing a mask? How, are, how am I going to stand and run against chariots if people are going to basically, you know, say, deny Christ? It is good practice for us. I'm not saying that's how you have to practice, but it's good practice for us to be uncomfortable and to stand up for what is right, even if it makes us uncomfortable. 
because these are small things. Psalm 118, verse 18 says, The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Uh, you could maybe paraphrase this in the New Living Translation by saying, Quit whining, you're not dead. <laughs> well, we don't resist to the point of shedding our blood. We don't even resist to the point of being uncomfortable in the eyes of, of those around us. Bottom line. And by the way, well, I'll just continue here. In verse uh, 4, we kind of read that, but picking up in verse 5, you've not yet resisted to the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So he says, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've also forgotten. You've forgotten something very important, that God treats you as a son. He treats you as someone he loves. You've lost your focus on the Word of God. He is quoting Proverbs here. Now again, keep in mind, this is what I love about the New Testament. Everybody thinks, oh, New Testament is this all new thing, and the Old Testament, that's old and nullified, and it's obsolete. 90% of what you're reading in the New Testament is a quote from the Old Testament. Just even what we just looked at here in verse 4, where... He's borrowing from the Psalms. It's basically saying the same thing. As we go here, he's quoting now Proverbs, where it says, uh, you know, my son, do not despise discipline, it says in Proverbs. So, this exhortation about chastening, I think, is one of the most important verses that we have today. He says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged, when you are rebuked by him. This is New Testament. So does God rebuke you as Christians? <coughs> yes. Why? Because he loves you. You're his son and daughter. That's why. My kids know I rebuked them. And they love me for it. Right? <laughs> some of you did some of you deserve more rebuke than others so let me show you that this too is not just a New Testament thing this is an Old Testament thing Leviticus 26 verse 15 says and if you despise my statutes my laws and if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Now, this is a lot of bad stuff that God is doing. Says, oh, 9-11 happens. And you had some people coming out and say, this is God's rebuke of, of America. And people, God would never do that. God's a God of love. Right? Again, this false gospel that God, if you're a Christian, God just blesses you. All you got to do is be a Christian. You go to church and you pray at night. That's it. God blesses you. 
That's not what Scripture says. That's the false gospel. Okay? These people who say, well, God wouldn't send people to hell. He's a God of love. Ray Comfort's great about talking about that. Try that in the civil courts. Hey, judge, I know you're a loving guy. You're a great guy because of that. I believe you're going to let me off of the hook. No, that would be an unjust, unloving judge that did not punish the crime. There are consequences. And this is one of the things that I think it's important for churches to realize, this is kind of a side issue but connected, is that there are consequences to sin. And consequences are different than forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I sin all the time. And I, like I said, I hate it. And sometimes there are consequences because of those sins. Am I forgiven? Am I still a child of God? Absolutely. But the consequences still remain. When Adam sinned, he was kicked out of the garden. Do you think that he begged God, please let us go back? This guy experienced what, you know, heaven on earth. He's kicked out. Now there's cold, nakedness, sorrow, shame, all these terrible things, disease that he probably got to witness. Do you think that, I mean, you want to talk about needing antidepressants. Whole, I can't even imagine what an adjustment that must have been. And after begging and pleading, God, just please, I will never do it again. I'll never do it. And I'll bet God said, you're right. I know you won't because you're not going back in. I love you, but these are the consequences of sin. There are rules. Moses, he's the most humble man that ever lived. And, that's what scripture says, the most humble man that ever lives, and because he makes one mistake that's recorded there in scripture, God says, because you did that, you didn't, you know, treat me as holy in front of all these people at that when he struck the rock. You don't get to go into the promised land. Moses does even complain and whine and beg, God, please. And God says, shut up. Stop your whining. I mean, he doesn't say shut up, but more or less, he says, stop it. Quiet. You're not going in because you this is the consequence. Is Moses a man of God? Absolutely. There are consequences to sin even though you may be forgiven. Anyway, the goal though of chastisement is what? Obedience. Let me show you as it continues on. It says, and after all this, after all these chastisements, if you do not obey me. In other words, I'm doing this because I'm trying to lead you. Just like I discipline my children so that, because I knew it was good for them, what was safe for them, it's the same thing. If you do not obey me after all this, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. By the way, this does happen. We see down the road, not too much later, they get taken to Babylon. And when they're in Babylon, and the, well, I should say before they get taken to Babylon, they're besieged by 
the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. They do. Like the Bible records these women even eating their own flesh and blood. That's how vile it had become. I got news for you. It kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Guys, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and the world falls apart, you will do things that even you didn't think you could do. Because that's what's inside the fallen, sinful nature of mankind. I believe every single one of you could murder. I believe every single one of you could do the, the most grievous crime you could ever imagine. And myself included. Because that's what's in a man, apart from Christ. You, given the situation, you could make it so dire, so terrible, that you would do it. You read this, and I want you to see something. God doesn't do timeouts. Go stand in the corner with your nose in the corner. God. Okay. Well, that's a pretty major timeout, but I'll give that to you. This might seem harsh, but I want you to understand, guys, this is love. Okay? It seems terrifying. And it's supposed to be. Just like I terrified my kids sometimes to keep them out of the streets. You're going to get run over by a car. You're going to squash your head. <laughs> You're going to die if you keep playing out on the street. Stop it. I terrified them because I wanted to keep them safe and because I loved them. Yeah. This isn't the point of trying to say, oh, God is this cruel, harsh, unloving. No, this is a loving God because he disciplines those he loves. Okay, And I don't remember now if I've got this in here, but the, the Scripture says that. If you are not disciplined, in the New Testament, if you are not disciplined by God, then you're not his son. You're not loved by God. So you better pray that you are disciplined by God. You better hope. I, I've always said this. I told my kids, I guarantee you that if I started stealing stuff and went into stores, I can promise you I would be caught. And honestly, I think I'm a pretty savvy guy. I think I would know how to get away with things and do it without getting caught. But I am going to get caught because I have a loving God who's going to make sure I get caught. If I get into pornography, I can guarantee you I'm going to get caught. Because I have a loving God who is going to want to make sure that I get caught because he wants me to stop. That's just that, that's the kind of God we have. And most people, when they get caught, get mad at God. It's like, hey, he's doing this for your own good. Just like your kids might be mad at you when you punish them. You're doing it for their own good. I'm going to take you back to 2 Maccabees. Again, just a good historical book here that really records what you know was going on in history here before Christ came during the time of Antiochus. We looked at this last week, how Antiochus had offered the last of uh, you know seven sons all these prizes and, and rewards if he would just basically you know disobey God. And um, basically here's the response. But you you have contrived every kind of evil for the Hebrews will not escape the hands of God. We indeed are suffering because of our sins. 
these guys knew. He says, you, you who are punishing me, he says, you're going to feel it. Me. He says, I'm enduring this because of my own sin. He confesses his sin and realizes that I'm, I deserve the discipline I'm getting. Maybe this kind of thought process would be enough for you to shut off your computer, turn off that internet, watch, you know, stop watching porn, stop watching filth on TV, whatever the case might be that you're caught up in. Because you will suffer for doing sins, even though you may be saved as a believer. Proverbs 15.10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. This is all throughout Scripture. If you're going to forsake God's word, he who hates correction will die. So next time, now by the way, I, one of the hardest things about teaching is you might be focused here, but somebody else is going down this road with it. And what's making me think this is maybe some of you are thinking that every time something bad happens, you're being disciplined by God. Okay? And I'm glad that that came to my mind because I need to go down that road. That's not always true. Just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean, oh, what kind of sin do I have in my life? And, you know, I must be this terrible person because God is disciplining me. That's not always the case. And so don't, I, I'm not, I'm speaking in generalities here that trials and tribulations aren't all discipline. Sometimes trials and tribulations are because of just stuff in life. Job is a great example. Job went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and yet it was for God's glory. In the New Testament, remember the disciples or somebody asked, you know, this blind guy here, why is he blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither, but so that God might be glorified. This man was born blind. So God might allow things like this, trials and tribulations in your life, so that he gets glory. Okay, there, there's all kinds of reasons why you can have suffering in this, in this world. But tonight we're kind of focusing on the aspect of discipline. There very well may be some things in your life because of choices that you've made that you're going to experience some discipline because of your choices. So that's why the commandments are holy, righteous, and good, as Romans tells us, because it keeps us from making bad choices sometimes and keeps us safe. But when we are disciplined, I hope that this helps you kind of think about this a little bit in the sense of how are you going to respond to the discipline that God allows to come to your life? Will you blame him? Be angry at him? Or do we thank God and say, God, thank you for allowing me to go through this trial because I know that you're working in my life. And this is making me a better person. Stronger. And I think when it comes to church discipline, we need to remember that too. Very, very few churches today exercise church discipline, which the New Testament is very, very clear about. That we are to exercise church discipline. 
we see an example of this guy who was sleeping with, was it his mother-in-law? I don't remember. Was it his mother-in-law? And he is excommunicated, and then later he repents. What's that? Stepmom. Okay. He repents, and then he said, now welcome him back. Do you think there were consequences to him when he was welcomed back? Yeah. I have seen, i got to be honest, I think I've only seen one church in town practice church discipline where I thought it was done quite well. And we need to remember that even as a church, just as a father disciplines a son, just as God disciplines us, a church disciplines its members. And there are consequences regardless of the, separate from the forgiveness aspect. And I think that when, if and when we go under church discipline at times, it says a lot about how we receive the discipline. Just like, do we get angry with God? Do we get angry with the church and say, oh, how dare you judge me, blah, 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 whatever. Are you mad at the church? Or do we say, I deserve this. 1 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone calls himself a brother, now that means Christian, not like, you know, a brother, but if anyone calls himself a Christian, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an adulterer, and a whole list of sins, it says, with such a man, do not even eat. It says, hand this man over to Satan so that his soul may be saved on the last day. So if they repent, they can come back into the body of Christ. I can eat with them again. But, if you're a Christian living a willful, sinful life, we're not even supposed to be eating with them. Okay? Because they call themselves a brother. Now, let's say there's a non-believer over there. Hey, I'm supposed to be witnessing to him because he doesn't know any better. But the guy that goes to church, he knows better. Okay? He's a hypocrite. You're not supposed to be pretending everything is okay with that. So I think it says a lot about someone who, when they go through church discipline, says, yeah, I, I deserve that. I, I have consequences to my sins. And they take it rather than trying to buck the system and, and you know, pretend like nothing's ever happened. Okay? There are consequences to our sins, and that is forever, you know, as far as earthly life goes. Okay, until we get to heaven, you may be forgiven, but there are earthly consequences. So, let us go to Deuteronomy and see a little bit more about discipline here. We need to start wrapping up. Deuteronomy 28.20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. Why? Because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch, from which you cannot be healed. Do you ever wonder why the devil wants to remove Torah or the law of God from churches today? Because what's going to happen if you think the law doesn't matter? Right there it is. 
you will not fear God. You will not obey God. You will not run to Him. You will not seek Him. You will trample on the blood of Jesus. The, the grace that He has given you, you're going to trample on it. It's going to be called, we call that cheap grace. Jesus died for me, so now I can go live my life the way I want to. I'm not running a race. I'm watching on the sidelines. Jeremiah confirms that our sins bring these problems. Jeremiah 30, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. It continues. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Why are you complaining that you're being disciplined, in other words? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities. Because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. Guys, this is why I have been saying all this time throughout this crazy world. I hear all these people saying Trump is going to get in because Trump is going to bring blessing and, and this country is going to come back stronger than it ever has been. This whole time, I've been saying, I don't, if Trump gets in, it's not going to be to bless this nation. Why? Because our sins have reached to the heavens, piled up the abortions, the, the babies that we have murdered and killed and then passed on to be eaten and used in, in all of our lotions and everything else that we're using, selling baby parts for money, the homosexuality that we, we uplift and, and we, we you know forgot to blush, all of these things, I mean, I could go on and on and on of the sins of America, the, the, the false gospel preached in church upon church upon church, all these hypocrites in the church that say, oh, I'm a Christian, but yet are in pornography and doing all these other things. And we just go, oh, that's okay, Jesus loves you. That's fine, keep living your life the way you are. It's cheap grace, it's a good thing, it's free. No wonder, I'll tell you, if God would destroy us tomorrow, he would be just in doing so. I don't know anything else could be more fearful than that, yet we treat sin as if it's no big deal because we're under grace. Micah says this in chapter 6, verse 12, For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies. Golly, that just sounds familiar. And their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. This is what we can expect. If we turn back on God's chastisement, His discipline, I was talking to somebody here. I don't even remember who we were talking about earlier. Maybe go back and watch my message on the Corona End Times Watch. 
because I think we're still following this pattern. I, I, I can't say for sure. I'm just saying it seems like we're watching Revelation unfold. The white horse of Revelation is Corona and whoever's behind it. The red horse, communism. The black horse is coming right behind it. Disease, famine, plague. I frankly think this vaccine could very easily bring us in to another plague right behind it. I won't get into all the details right now, but I think very well could. I mean, we're, we're set up. And if that happens, and we see this world falling apart, I want you to remember tonight, we deserve it. With all of that said, I want you to understand something else. We as believers, those who walk, look at what happens in the book of Revelation. The devil goes after those who keep the commandments of God. That's what it says in Revelation. But, notice God steps in to help and protect. Now, I'm not saying Christians won't die, because I also see those that do die, and they're before the throne of God, saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? But what I'm saying is this, you can count on God. He will be there for you. And while the world falls apart, it's okay for you. Okay, think about Esther. I, I, I know we're. I, I think we're going to have to study Esther next, and remind me at the end to make an announcement. Um, but Esther is a perfect example of that. The world was falling apart, but there's a reason that God allows that to happen. It's to defend the righteous. They they thought that the the Jews were about to be wiped out, but Haman was building gallows. For, for Mordecai the Jew, but in essence, he built the gallows for himself. May the trap that they uh, set, may they be ensnared by it. May the pit that they dug, may they fall into it. Psalm 35, verses 1 through 8, talks about this very thing. That God will fight against those who fight against me. He, 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 go read Psalm 35, verses 1 through 8. It, it's great for that. So keep that in mind in context of what we're talking about here too as well. 1 Kings 8, need to look here real quick. Um, it says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the, to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent, and make supplication to you, and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. I think even these, a lot of these hypocrites that are out there right now, when things happen, God is doing this to discipline them. And my prayer is that this is what will happen. When then they cry out to him, they repent, and they'll say, God, we, we have bought into the lie of America. Bless me, bless me, bless me. We have been selfish with what God is, what you've given us. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not kept your commandments. We have not honored the Sabbath. We have not done any of these things. I'm sorry. Then he will hear in heaven, and it says he will maintain their cause, forgive 
your people who have sinned against you. So there's a lot of good news here. I just hope that we can, each and every one of you, have to take and internalize this to what's going on in your life, because I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe some of you are caught up in some sin that you think is some big secret. It's not a secret. God knows about it. Let this be taken to heart. Maybe some of you think you're doing pretty well. Maybe we ought to pray, God, show me the depth of my heart. Because I'll tell you, if you're thinking you're doing pretty well, I think you're blind to, to who you are. I don't think there's a person in the world who doesn't have something that they need to work on. I've got a whole list, two arms length long, and then some. This is He does these things. He gives us this so that we can better ourselves. He betters us, let me put it that way, so that we're safe, we're protected. But just know that when we live in this kind of sin, there will be a consequence. And that consequence is going to stay on earth. I know many a people who have had lifelong consequences because of choices that they've made, and they are awesome people, great Christians but they will have those consequences as long as they live. Doesn't mean God didn't, isn't with them. Doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean they're not Christians. That's just the rules. And when you run the race, there are rules, as Hebrews says. You can take the law and let that law condemn you and dwell in that, and uh, that's just as bad as the cheap grace. And so... The devil always wants to take it and use it against you, either cheap grace or use the law against you and make you feel condemned and that you know God doesn't love you. And neither one of those are true. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, let us not despise your discipline. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal the, the sins that we all have in our lives. Show us the, the truth, Lord. And we just pray that you would be gentle, that we would not need that harsh discipline, but that those little gentle nudges and the word speaking to us would reveal that to each and every one of us. I thank you for this uh, time that we've had. I thank you for everybody here. For those who did not make it here tonight, we just pray that you'd be with them. We lift up Becky and just pray that you'd bring healing to her body. Um, that she would just gain her strength back and, and, and be able to to participate with us here again soon. And uh, Lord, we know others are, are uh, going to have surgery here soon, and we just ask that you'd be with them, give them comfort, and and uh, just a, a trust in you that there would be no fear or trepidation about any of that, that they would just be finding peace in your promises. And Lord, we are just grateful that you are a God who hears, a God who sees, a God who is not far off, but is right here with us. May your word live in us. May your word convict. May your word encourage. And may you use that word and your love in us to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.